This morning's passage is from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you today. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and I am so delighted uh, to be with you today, to have an opportunity to dive into this text together. If you've been around Christ community for any length of time, you probably already know this about me. Uh, though I like to present myself as being a man of fine taste and high class, you all know I love daytime television. Uh, cannot get enough of it. Judge Judy is my homegirl. Uh, love anything Judy does. She's just sharp. She gets it. Uh, I am easily drawn into the drama of Dr. Phil. Uh, I know that it kind of, gosh, half the stuff he says, you shouldn't take his good advice, but man, I get sucked in. I love it. But one of my favorite daytime television shows, and perhaps you're a fan of it as well, is one of the longest running shows on television. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, who doesn't love the fabulous 60-minute Price is Right? Any other fans here? I love the Price is Right. Fond memories of a child, you know, being home on a snow day watching the Price is Right. Uh, still watch it when I happen to be at home during the right time for it. Because you know how it works, right? The, the bidding $1, the Plinko chip going down the board, the big wheel, right? I mean, Price is Right. That is one of my favorite shows. And I dream sometimes, you know, what if I made it out to sunny California, and there they are looking through the people in the lobby, because I've heard they like pick people before the show, you know, to get on there, and somehow they would notice me and call my name to come on down. I mean, that would be a dream come true. Uh, absolutely love the show. And this week, as I was thinking about the text that we're going to engage this morning, and then really the journey we're starting today, and that we'll be on for the next eight weeks together, I couldn't help but think of one Price is Right game in particular. I just could not get it out of my head. Perhaps it's a game you know. Uh, the game is called That's Too Much. Have you seen this game, That's Too Much? Really simple game. Here's how it works. They usually, they bring out like a big prize, like a car or something. You know, they say you could win this car. And then Drew unveils a lots of like prices along the way. So it's like 13,000, 16,000, 18,000, you know, so you're going down the row. And as soon as it crosses the line where it's more expensive than the prices of the car, right? So there's a lot of thing there. As soon as it tips the scales, you're supposed to stop Drew and say, no, 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 that's too much, right? And you're like supposed to scream it there. And if you do it at just the right time, 
If it's just at that precise moment where you've just crossed the line, if you manage to nail it, you win the car, right? So real simple game. I feel like I could win that one when I'm on there. But I, but I mentioned that game this morning because even though I haven't been on the prices right yet, right, one day, uh, but even though I haven't been on the prices right yet, I have found myself at various points in my life screaming, that's too much, you know? The situation that's brewing at work, and it's just like, that's too much. The relationship that's getting more complicated, that's too much. The, the betrayal that you didn't see coming, you know, that's too much. Have you ever been there, you know? Have you ever been making your way through life and you feel like it's going okay and then maybe a, you know, a diagnosis comes or a job description changes or a new responsibility is added or a deal falls through or a parent needs care or a child needs help or a friend needs our attention and then all of a sudden you feel welling up within you those three words, hey, hey that, that's just, that's too much. It's too much for me to handle right now, too much for me to do, too much for me to process. You know, have you ever felt just kind of overwhelmed overextended like you're in over your head. If you've been there, I think the series we're about to start could be so helpful to you. I I know that I need it myself because this week we're launching a new series entitled Life, A Task Too Big for Us. A Task Too Big for Us. It's a series rooted in the book of Jeremiah that's designed to help us engage this ancient text of Scripture by exploring the life of Jeremiah the prophet who was given a task that he immediately recognized as being too much for him to handle, too much, too difficult, too hard to bear. Jeremiah, he was invited to live this way of life that he knew he couldn't live at least on his own strength. And so when the invitation came his way, he protested. He said, no, 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 Lord, that is too much. And in many ways, Jeremiah was right. And as we walk through his life together for the next eight weeks, we're going to see that it uh, was a constant uphill climb, that it was one difficult thing after another, that it really, for Jeremiah, it never gets easier. He's called the crying prophet for a reason. Uh, Nothing comes easy for Jeremiah. So for the next eight weeks, as we make our way through this book and consider his life and explore this text verse by verse, we're going to be taking a closer look at this historic prophet and asking the question, what do we do when it feels like life is too much? What do we do when we can tell what's ahead of us, when what we're facing, what seems right on the horizon, when it feels like, gosh, that is just too difficult, too hard, uh, too impossible for me to ever do? What, What do we do when it feels like life's too much. And I've got to tell you, church, this is a series that our teaching team is pretty excited about, even as we know it's going to be a difficult series. Because we feel like the book of Jeremiah, we think that it addresses questions that we have and speaks into situations that we all experience and gives God's direction um, into kind of moments that that we all experience and where we all need a little extra help and encouragement from the Lord. And so we're excited to go on this journey through Jeremiah together. We're excited for what lies ahead of us in this next eight weeks, and I'm ready to dive into it this morning. And so we're going to start right Jeremiah 1.1, the very beginning of the book. If you haven't turned there already, I would love if you would join me there. Jeremiah 1.1 is on page 627 of our community Bibles. And, And as you're getting there, I'm just going to start reading. The text says this, the words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anioth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now, 
this makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? Kind of get what's going on here? I uh, say that as a joke. I know sometimes when we read these kind of texts of Scripture where there's names that are unfamiliar to us and a way of communicating that is not familiar to us, if you're anything like me, it's possible just to kind of glaze over these things, right? You know, I'm like, I'm going to find the stuff that I can understand. Endurance is the wind. Just keep trekking. But honestly, I want to take some time this morning. There's a whole lot contained in these first few verses of Jeremiah, and I want to see if we can unpack it together. So even though this is a method of communicating that we don't often do anymore, even though the names and places they're describing here might not be familiar to us. I still think there's a whole lot for us to learn. So I'm going to try to break it down. Uh, Let's see if we can do it. We'll start in verse 1. The word of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anoth in the land of Benjamin. I think what verse 1 has to tell to us is that Jeremiah was a priest. Jeremiah was a priest. His his dad was a priest. His grandpa was a priest. He was part of a family that all performed these priestly duties. From birth, Jeremiah had been trained to be one who kind of works within the religious customs of the Jewish people, one who kind of knew the ancient traditions, knew how to lead a service of worship, knew everything that was required as a priest. Jeremiah was discipled and trained and mentored to be a priest. That's the thing that pops out of those first verses. We see that from the outset, that Jeremiah from birth was set aside for special religious service as a priest. Now, verse 2 continues by calling Jeremiah uh, the one to whom the word of the Lord came. Now, this phrase, like, to whom the word of the Lord came, or talking about the word of the Lord coming, this is kind of specific biblical language that the original readers would have understood means that Jeremiah was also a prophet. So he was a priest by birth. His family was priests. He grew up in a priestly family. He knew that was going to be his job. But the text also makes clear right from the get-go that Jeremiah has like this bonus task as well. He's going to be a prophet. He's going to be one who speaks God's words on God's behalf, one who receives specific instructions or warnings or directions from God and then passes those along to others. That's what it kind of means when it says, and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So he's a priest first, priestly family. He's a prophet as well. And then the second, kind of the second part of the second verse and the third verse listing all these names, right, of kind of Josiah's in there and Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. The point the authors are trying to get across here is that Jeremiah did his work for a long time. So he's a priest, he's a prophet, and he did this very special work through the reign of three different kings. He was around for a whole long time. He wound up doing this difficult work for decades. So right there at the top of the book, the original authors are trying to help us see that, hey, Jeremiah has kind of an impressive spiritual resume, a priest by birth, a prophet by calling, and a really long career. You know, they're saying you should, you should listen. There's something special about this life. It's worth kind of tuning in. So that's kind of an, an ancient way of communicating. Put the resume right up front. This is someone worth paying attention to. And then the action really begins in verse 4. And here's Jeremiah writing, what I love about verse 4, it's Jeremiah writing and reflecting upon the beginning of his big career. So he had these decades, right, serving as a priest and prophet in Israel, but he's looking back thinking about when it all began. And he writes in verse 4, he says, Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet for the nations. 
mean, the book of Jeremiah, it opens with a, a broad summary of Jeremiah's resume saying, hey, this is who this guy is. You should pay attention to what unfolds here. And then we get a glimpse into one of the earliest moments in Jeremiah's life. You know, he's, he's thinking all the way back to when it all began. And he said, you know, it really started when the Lord showed up and said, hey, Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. I, I formed you. I, I knew that you were going to be set apart. I had a plan for you. I wanted you from the very beginning to be this prophet for the nations. I designed a purpose for your existence. Jeremiah says, Maybe that's, that's where it all began. And I, I want to ask this morning, do you ever think about that church? I mean, do you ever think about the reality that God has a plan for you? That before you were born, before you were even thought of someone's mind and someone's imagination, right? Oh, let's have this child. I mean, before any of that would have ever happened, before you were born, before you took your first breath, God was, had a plan for you. He knew how he wanted you to live in his world. He had some ideas of some good work you might do to honor him and feel fulfillment yourself and bless your neighbor, that God has a plan for you. Do you, do you think about that a whole lot? I mean, I know I don't. <laughs> I know that it's way easier to get wrapped up in sort of day-to-day -day routine, little to-do list tasks, you know, stuff I have to do and an email to reply to, and it, I can just forget that in the broadest, grandest scheme and in the truest sense of all, that there is some kind of plan, some kind of purpose, some kind of story that God's writing with my life and with your life, right? That before you were even born, Jeremiah, God says, I had a plan for you. I knew there was good work for you to do. I knew there was a way that you were going to honor me and love others with your existence. I mean, Jeremiah looks back at the end of his long career and he says, you know what, that's where it all began. It started with God saying, man, there's, there's a purpose, there's a plan for you, Jeremiah. But then he says, and I love this, Jeremiah says, when he first came to that understanding, when he recognized God had a purpose for his life, it was kind of a scary thing. It was a little intimidating because God told Jeremiah that he was going to be a prophet to the nations. Now, what's important to recognize, there had been prophets before Jeremiah, of course, these people that received words from God and spoke on God's behalf, but a lot of them have had ministries primarily to God's own people, right? So they were prophets to Israel. They were people that God said something and they said, hey, everybody, here's what God says. And people were more inclined to listen because they themselves were Israeli and they honored the God of Israel. But God's telling Jeremiah here, you're going to be a prophet to the nation. You're going to speak to people that aren't in this nation. You're going to speak to people that don't know me as their God, that don't respect us as a people, that don't honor me as one worth listening to, right? You've got a, a tough calling. And this scares Jeremiah. He knows that he's going to have some tough messages to deliver to Israel's neighbors. And that's why I think we hear his response in verse 6, which I love. He says, oh, Lord, oh, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, right? And I'm only a youth. You know, God shows up and says, Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew what I wanted you to do, and it's a big task. You're going to be a prophet to the nations. You're going to speak my truth to some people that don't know us. And Jeremiah says, hey, Lord, you know, uh, I'm flattered, I'm honored, but you've got this all wrong. I don't, I don't know how to speak. I'm not great in front of crowds. I'm not comfortable up on stage. Lord, you, you don't want me to speak for you. I don't know how. And furthermore, I'm just a youth. I'm young. I, I, I don't know anything. You know, I'm, a, I'm on like the JV team, Lord. You need someone like varsity for that. You, you know, I don't, I don't know this. I'm the wrong person. You've got this all wrong, God. You don't want me. I've got no experience, and, and I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm intimidated. Now, I don't know about you, but this is something I can relate to. I mean, this kind of fear, this kind of insecurity, this kind of discomfort. I mean, even trying to get out from under a difficult task. I mean, all of it. This is something I can relate to. And for me, it's looked like this. It's saying like, oh God, you want me to speak to that friend about that thing? 
You know, God, you want me to forgive that person for that incident? God, you want me to write that letter? You want me to stand behind this family member? You want me to walk that difficult path beside that person? Oh, God, you know, I'm honored, I'm flattered, but you've got it all wrong. Now, I'm not that bold to say that. I'm not that kind. I'm not that patient. I'm not the person you want, Lord. I mean, come on, I get I know that it's good work that needs to be done. Someone's got to show up in that space and bring peace. Someone's got to show up there and bring some reconciliation. I see that there's good work to do, but man, you've got it all wrong, God. I'm not the right person. And have you, have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like, God, you've got it all wrong, like something that God might be asking you to do, and you're feeling your heart that maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. You're like, no, no, no. I mean, that's just, that's not the right fit. I'm not ready. That's that's too much. I mean, that's how Jeremiah feels here. He, he sees that there's good work to be done, and he hears that God's asking him to do it, but he says, no, 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 I'm wrong. I, I can't do that. It's too difficult. It's too costly. And then in verse 7, the Lord responds, and Jeremiah says, the Lord said to me, hey, do not say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them. For I'm with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. See, Jeremiah declares, God, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. This is too much for me. I can't. I'm not the one that you want to send. Find someone else. And the Lord says, no, 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 Jeremiah, you are going to go. Wherever I send you, you're going to go. And you are going to speak. It's what you were born to do. You're going to go and you're going to say it. But don't worry. Don't be scared. Don't be intimidated. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to deliver you. And I love what happens next. Jeremiah says, And then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. See, God knew that Jeremiah was feeling nervous. God knew that Jeremiah was feeling inadequate. He knew that Jeremiah was convinced that the task that was ahead of him was too difficult, too taxing, too overwhelming, too impossible for him to complete. And so God tells Jeremiah first, I'm going to be with you. But then God reaches out and touches him. He touches Jeremiah's mouth. He touches the part of Jeremiah's body that's going to be so critical to him accomplishing his life's work, right? And I love this because touch is an intimate act, right? Touch is, a, is an act that communicates presence. You've got to be close to someone to be able to touch them, right? You've got to be literally within kind of arm's length, right? And so God responds to Jeremiah's feelings of inadequacy. Not me, Lord. Don't send me. I'm not the right one. And he says, no, no, no. First, he gives kind of a word of comfort, right? I'm going to go with you. But then he touches Jeremiah, he communicates presence. He communicates that I'll be right there beside, beside you. And he says in this touch, he says, look, Jeremiah, today in my very closeness to you through touch, you have all that you need to accomplish this task. And nations are going to rise and nations are going to fall and kings are going to listen and people are going to be corrected. He said, I've touched your mouth and it's going to work out, Jeremiah. I'm going with you. When Jeremiah is overwhelmed with what lies ahead of him, God gives him a word of encouragement and God touches him. God speaks to him and God comes close. And I think that's beautiful. And I find that comforting and I find that encouraging. God speaks to Jeremiah and God comes close to him. 
And I would say that the same is true for us. When we are overwhelmed, when it feels like there is something too difficult ahead, when we have kind of a sense that something's coming, or when we see the circumstances of our life and it's like, holy cow, how am I ever going to deal with that? When those moments happen, I think God in the same way wants to speak to us and wants to come close to us, right? He wants to give us a word of encouragement and He wants to comfort us with your presence. He wants to say to us, say, don't worry, don't give up, don't kind of throw in the towel before it even starts. I made you for this and you'll be fine. And I'm going to go with you to deliver you. I'm there to protect you. And I think this is really important for us to grasp because there's this real like sick rumor that goes around Christianity, around church circles. I don't know where everyone hears it from each other. I don't know if it's something people whisper to each other around the drinking fountain or whatever, wherever we gossip here, probably more in the donut place. Uh, but the sick rumor that goes around church circles, and it's something like this. Maybe you've heard it before. It's kind of a rumor that says that God's in the business of like removing difficulty, right? Or that God's in the business of making life easier. Probably the way that it's articulated most is like, well, God never gives anyone he loves more than they can bear, right? Is this something you've heard before? And I call it a sick rumor this morning because that's not true. It's not true. You're not going to find that promise ever in Scripture. The Bible never says that. In fact, just because this is a passion of mine, I want to go back. The verse that most people think they're quoting when they say that, God never gives us anything more than we can bear, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and here it is on the screen. Uh, the actual verse says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, um, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So that verse, again, that people think they're quoting when they say, God doesn't give anyone more than they can bear, uh, there is some language kind of like it in Scripture, but it's a verse more accurately about temptation. It's saying that, hey, if kind of a temptation comes your way, if you feel drawn to do something you know you shouldn't, uh, it's never going to be so overwhelming that you can't say no. You know, you're never going to be able to say, God made me do it because it was too hard. That's what this verse is claiming. But it's not saying anything about existential reality. It's not saying anything about life circumstance. It's not saying anything about the fact that sometimes things might come along in life that feel too big, too overwhelming, too impossible to face. That's not a promise you'll ever find in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say God will never give you more than you can bear. That's just not in Scripture. I mean, in fact, to the contrary, the pages of Scripture are filled with story after story after story of people facing circumstances that are way more than they can handle. You know, I think about Moses kind of standing up to a great Pharaoh or Esther kind of in this moment where she's got to stand in for her people, right? There's no day but today, no time like this. I think of David or Naomi, people that were in impossible situations, and yet they're able to thrive and to flourish. They're able to find connection with God, peace within themselves, and to bless those around them. And, and how do they do it? How does that happen, even though they're up against impossible odds, even though they're in difficult situations? Well, it's not because God didn't give them more than they can handle. In fact, God gave them way more than they could handle on their own, but rather it's because God didn't give them anything more than He could handle, right? God doesn't give us anything more than He can handle, so God allows people he loves to experience all sorts of difficulty, right? And he asks people that he loves to take on all sorts of difficult tasks, right? To do kind of work in the world that needs to be done, but that's going to come with a cost. God allows difficult things to happen, and he calls people to difficult things, but he never gives us more than he can handle. And this is how it's supposed to be, church. I mean, from the very beginning, God designed us to live in unique intimacy with Him. In the garden, we were supposed to be working kind of in conjunction with Him and experiencing His empowerment and His grace and His presence in our work. 
And what happens in kind of cultures where God doesn't give us more than we can bear, when that kind of lie takes place and then difficulty comes, people feel like either God's failed them because he's allowed something bad to happen or that their own faith isn't strong enough because they're feeling like they're in a difficult spot. And the fact is that the Bible never promises that there won't be things that come your way that aren't too difficult. It says nothing's going to come your way that God can't handle. He will be there beside you. And in fact, when those difficult things come, they come so that you can learn in a new way how to draw down on God's grace, experience his power, and live outside of your own limitations, accomplishing things, doing things, bringing about reconciliation that you never thought you could accomplish on your own. I mean, the Christian life from the very beginning was designed to be empowered by God, spirit-fueled, lived in deep relationship with the Lord. And if there's anything the book of Jeremiah teaches us is that many times God gives those he loves lives that are too big for them. And when those obstacles come, instead of thinking, gosh, I've failed or God's failed or my faith must not be strong enough or God might not love me enough, instead of thinking those things that those other lies can create, right? God doesn't give hard things to those he loves. No, no, no. Instead, when it seems like life too much, perhaps we could realize that maybe God's inviting us to see that he's enough, right? When it seems like life's too much, maybe, just maybe, God is inviting us to see that he's enough. Now, this isn't to say that there's times when life feels overwhelming because we've overcommitted and we need better boundaries. We talk about that here all the time. And it isn't to say that there aren't times when life feels like too much and it's because we've made some bad choices and now there's just some consequences that go with them, right? We've talked about that too. But this is to say that I think many people in the church, we need to add a new category to our thinking that says, even for those God loves, even for those that are following God faithfully, difficult things can happen. And when they come their way, when there's either a task that's too big or an experience that seems insurmountable, it's not because God doesn't love us. And it's not because our faith is too weak. It's because there's a challenge that comes our way that's inviting us to draw down on God's resources of grace and power and comfort and love and to do something we never thought we'd be able to do. I think Jeremiah 1 wants to help us create that category. It teaches us that God does give his people more than they can handle so that they can learn how to trust and depend upon him. And that's a real big claim, I know that, but that's a claim that's going to sit underneath this entire series. It's foundational for where we're headed over the next seven weeks. It's so important that we get that kind of drilled in this week so that we'll be ready to hear where we're going to go next. And I know that it's a big claim, but, but I'm confident that it's a claim that's true. And here's why I think it's true. It's because I've seen God work in this way. I've seen God give people really big things in their life and then use it to bring them closer to him. I've seen it time and time again, but I've seen it most specifically and most vividly in the life of my dad. When my dad was really young, he lost his father and his only sister in a car accident. So there's kind of like two parents in front, four kids in the back, T-boned. So dad dies and only sister dies. And of course, that had all kinds of effects for my grandma. The kids were deeply wounded. Life was real tough. And on top of all that, dad tells stories about some bullying when he was young. And I found an old yearbook of my father's actually in an upstairs closet and read through some of the comments that other uh, kids wrote in there. And I got to say, I got a bigger glimpse into how difficult his life must have been as a child. I think it was real tough. He said that it was real tough, uh, that there was a lot of stuff that was frustrating that made him angry. And then as a young adult, 
Dad traveled across the country, made his way back, and somehow just landed in Indiana. Initially from New Jersey, lands in Indiana. Kind of a great story how he wound up there, where my family still is today. My mom and dad are still in Indiana. Lands there, and through kind of a, a work situation, working at a church camp, he, he finds the Lord in Indiana. He meets Jesus for the first time, and he would say in many ways there was great transformation in his life, right? And while there was a lot that did change, there's also a lot that didn't. And by that, I mean things didn't necessarily get easier for my dad. I can think of seasons of, you know, dad works as an electrician, so there's seasons of kind of great work, overtime work, and then kind of prolonged periods of unemployment. I can think of seasons of difficulty with folks at work, uh, difficulty in other relationships. I can think real specifically about a time, you know, right about when I left from high school to go to college, uh, we moved my mom's dad into our house. He was having some health problems, and dad served as his primary caregiver for uh, many years until he passed away. And then right when I moved here to Kansas City, my mom, many of you know, kind of broke her hip, broke her arm, there's all this, and dad has been kind of working full time and doing all the care for that at home. And so just a lot of stuff has come his way. And from time to time when we talk on the phone, you can hear in his voice that it's starting to get to be a little bit much, you know, happens to us all, but I can hear it in my dad's voice and my heart always goes out to him in those moments. And when that happens, and when I was thinking about this concept and thinking about, Lord, what are you teaching us on this journey? I couldn't help but think this week, um, imagining just my dad as a younger guy in his 20s, you know, John Trinesky with a mustache, and hearing in maybe a similar way from the Lord, you know, John, I've got this plan for you. You know, before you were born, I knew you, and I'm inviting you into my family. And, you know, just imagining him back at that church camp where he worked as a groundskeeper, coming to know the Lord and hearing God's invitation. And then as my imagination keeps going, I wonder, gosh, what would it have been like if God would have told my dad everything that would lie ahead of him for the next three decades? And I can imagine if dad would have got that glimpse, if the Lord would have told him all that's lying ahead, if he would have said something like, you're going to be a prophet to the nations, I imagine that dad would have said something similar to Jeremiah, right? gosh, not me, Lord. You know, all that stuff's going to come my way. I'm not patient enough. Lord, I get, I get too angry. I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to handle all that. And I can imagine God saying to my dad in response, don't worry, John, you know, I'm going to be with you. My presence is going to go beside you. You will go where I say. You will speak as I say. Just trust me. It's going to work out. And I think about conversations that I have with my dad now, and gosh, we'll talk on the phone, and sometimes it's like, you know, how are you doing? How are you really doing, dad? And he'll be like, you know what, Tyler, I'm as patient as I've ever been. You know, I'm learning how to be patient. That's something he and I both have to work through, right? I'm as patient as I've ever been. You know, Tyler, you're right, things have been tough, but I'm not, I'm not as angry as I thought I would be. Tyler, you know, I got to tell you, I've been bold at work. I said something to a coworker that needed to be said. Other guys weren't saying it, and I went for it. I mean, story after story, I hear recently talking with my dad about ways that God has met him in some of the most difficult places of life and where my dad has learned to draw on God's power and has walked into tasks that he would say are too big for him, right? And I say that to say this, church, as we start this journey together, as we begin our walk through Jeremiah, as we ask the question again and again week after week, what do we do when life gets too big? I just think we have to start by having this category that says, you know what, it's possible for even those who love the Lord and for whom the Lord loves to experience difficult realities in life. And when they do, it's not necessarily an indicator that God's mad and it's not something that we should interpret as meaning we've failed, but it's an invitation by God to say, hey, I want you to learn to rely on me and trust in me and depend upon my grace and strength to accomplish this thing that feels impossible to you. 
And I've seen it happen over decades in my dad's life. And I think it's the invitation that the Lord is extending to, all to, us, to us all as we begin this eight-week journey. What could it look like in our lives to add that category? Okay, maybe God's not mad. Maybe I haven't let him down. Maybe just maybe God's inviting me to draw on his grace afresh. And for the next seven weeks, we're going to unpack what that looks like practically. But today, I'm just asking God to give us that category in our hearts and minds. Lord, what if you're not mad and what if I haven't failed? What if instead you're inviting me to trust you in newer and deeper ways? That's the journey we're going to be on to the next, for the next seven weeks. And I do hope you'll be able to join us for it. So now would you join me in prayer as we wrap up this morning? Oh, Lord, it is not hard for any of us to think about things in our life that feel too difficult. I'm sure of that. It's a reality of life. I mean, stuff comes our way that we immediately recognize we are incapable of handling. And Lord, I'm just asking this morning that you use this passage from Jeremiah to remind us that when that happens, you haven't failed us and we haven't failed, but instead there is an opportunity to learn what it means to trust you and depend on you and rely on you to do something that feels impossible in our own strength. God, we're eager to see what that kind of faith looks like. So help us get started on this journey with good footing. Lord, this week, remind us of the truth that you do some of your best work when we're in our most difficult spaces. And God, I do ask even now at the outset of this series that this could be a journey through Jeremiah that's transformative for us all. But we know it only will be if we're trusting you to do the changing work in our hearts. And so we're asking you now, God, be present with us in this series. Help us to see what you'd have us see from your word. Help us to take steps of faith that we need to take together. And I pray that this could be a period that transforms the way we relate to you and rely on you. It's in your powerful name we pray this morning. Amen.